It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. Thanks for being with us. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show with me in the KFG studio, certified financial planners, and my colleagues, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. You need written financial goals. And I bet many of you listening today would maybe list as one of your goals, paying off the mortgage early. Mm -hmm. That's what one of my clients did just this past week. She was aggressive with her mortgage and she shaved years off. But every time you put dollars towards the mortgage, it can't also go towards your other goals. So how do you decide where the mortgage falls in the hierarchy of your goals of what you're pursuing? We're going to share our point of view on the mortgage payoff today on Wise Money. Maybe a little debate, too. Uh, We'll see. We'll see (laughs) here if we're all on the same page with that. If you have a question, reach out to us. We'd love to discuss your question on an upcoming program. Love to help in any way that, uh, that you need it. Reach out to us. Just call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyradio.com or Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search Wise Money Radio. All right. This topic is being kicked off from a question from Jennifer. She's 39. She's in South Bend. My husband and I are debating whether to save more for retirement or whether to pay extra on our mortgage. We have about $170,000 left on our mortgage and approximately $1,000 a month extra that we could apply towards it. The interest rate on the mortgage is 4%. Is it wise to work on paying that off or should we invest more? What do you guys say? I say that is the perfect financial planning question. Amen. Right there. Yep. So do you want me to go first with the right uh, answer? Hang on, expand on that though, because the fact that they're having a debate it, it reveals the fact that maybe there's some values that are colliding here. One of them is valuing paying off the mortgage early. Maybe being debt-free is really important to them. The other uh, is maybe wanting to feel like they're on pace for retirement. And, and that is exactly why this is the perfect financial planning question, because financial planning is all about making sure your values are reflected in your use and planning for money. And it's, right? and it's all about helping you realize your various goals, because you're going to have multiple financial goals, and helping you set the right path to achieve each of them. Mm-hmm. I get this a lot, actually, uh, with another emotional topic. So paying off debt, being debt-free is very emotional. You know, another one is having one spouse stay at home with the kids. And there's no value judgment. Obviously, I'm saying God made you two to be the best parents for your kids. And so the the thought of continuing to work so you'd have your child go to um, someone else to care for them 40 hours a week, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. So I'm not making a value judgment. However, I see a lot of people make that decision with just their month-to-month budget without looking at 
their other long-term goals that they're in a way saying no to or delaying simply because, well, we can make the math work in the, sh- in the short term. And if you're not making that decision in light of what are all of your financial goals and are we on track for them? And even if we're not, then you can just say, you know what, we're willing to say no to this goal or no to it for now because we want one of us to stay home with the kids or something like that. But financial planning turns the lights on on all of your all of your financial goals and then reveals are you on track or what do you need to do to be on track for them? It's a really good point. I mean, there may be another goal actually that they should be working on before either of these. Maybe they don't have an emergency fund in place. Maybe there's some other consumer debt that should be wiped out before they go to work on the mortgage. We don't know the full picture here, but that's what financial planning seeks to reveal. So, um, you know, first and foremost, I, I would encourage you to get out of debate mode and get into planning mode with a certified financial planner. That's the first bit of advice. But... You know, this is an interesting question because it kind of baits three nerdy guys into turning this into a math problem or some sort of an analysis of what's the best use of the money. And I I think we we could go there, and maybe one of you wants to. I don't know. Let's go. um, The the, the point here, a lot of people will will look at this as, okay, if you've got $1,000 of free cash flow, what's the best use of it? How do you get the most bang for the buck, so to speak? Is it to go try to grow an asset uh, for retirement, or is it to go wipe out a debt? Which one is going to to help you the most? And I, I actually think it's the wrong question, personally. I think the the right question is what we started with, and that is, uh, does does one of them reflect your values more than the other? And this is what makes this not a universal question, in my opinion. We, we might come up with a different answer depending on the couple that we're talking to. We don't know your circumstances. You, you may be in a job where, boy, uh, having the mortgage and needing to be able to make that payment feels like a major stressor and you want the freedom to be able to get into a different career, a different industry or something, but you just don't feel like you can with the mortgage there. I've, I've seen that with some clients. Mm-hmm. And the moment they had their mortgage wiped out, suddenly they felt free. Maybe more free than what building up a retirement nest egg would have done for them along the way. So I, I, I feel like personally what which one of these lines up with your specific values maybe should trump the math of the question? Yeah, I think when I think of math, I think the the issue with both of these places that you could put that money is they're both illiquid. So if I'm if I have a thousand dollars a month, that's twelve thousand dollars. I save that twelve thousand dollars in my retirement account, or I put that on my mortgage. If I needed twelve thousand dollars a year from now. It's it's not easily accessible. I can yes, I can get it, but it's not easy to get it. So I for sure, for sure, for sure would would want to ensure that my cash reserve goal was met before I started going down that path. Mm-hmm. And then if I was going to profile uh, Jennifer, I'd say okay, you're thirty nine. If you did the extra thousand dollars a month. What's possible is your mortgage is paid off somewhere between 10 to 14 years from now. 
that might be just the time that you're trying to educate some kids. That might be the time where your existing $1,000 mortgage payment, I'm assuming, and the extra 1000 that $2,000 a month is freed up, and that would go very well towards helping get the kiddos through school. I I love that tandem approach because you're looking at a mul- you're looking at multiple goals there and if those are your values, Jennifer, then then that might resonate. But not if you're doing 5% to the 401k. Yeah. Yep. Because if so so right there you've just set up sort of sort of the domino effect of which I love and I've helped a lot of people do it and I I'm just going to go out on air and say I'm doing it myself. Um, of paying the mortgage off right in time for college so I've got cash flow because college funding might look a lot different in 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so free cash flow along with some 529 savings makes a lot of sense. But if then if then you're cash flowing college and then kids are out of school and I've got five years left to save up for retirement, that's a bad deal because I'm looking at 39 and one of the most amazing things with finances is compound interest. And you're probably sick of hearing that until you say, okay, I've heard that one before. No, it's stinking incredible. And at 39, you've got a lot of life to live. So I'd want to make sure that you're investing enough in the right amount so you're leveraging time. And Josh, do you want to share that equation again for... Yeah, I mean, to to get ready for retirement or build wealth in general, you have to have cash available. There has to be margin in your budget to be able to squirrel away money, you have to put that money at risk so it has some growth potential and then you need time. That's yeah. the third ingredient. And you're, you're right. If you ignore your retirement for a long, long time until you've wiped out other goals like the mortgage or sending kids to college, you lack the time then to get ready for retirement after those other items are done. That's why I, I would argue there has to be some sort of a two-pronged approach here. Mm-hmm. You you maybe need to be working on the mortgage and getting it wiped out either before the college years or at least before retirement, but you can't get to retirement and have a house that's paid off with no money built up because you'll starve in that house that you own outright. You can't spend your house in retirement. How do you manage your investments in a volatile stock market? We've got a few tips for you as well as more listener questions coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. How do you invest in volatile times? This has been a very interesting year in the stock market, very different than the past two. And so how do you invest during times like these? We're going to be talking about that here in just a moment. Thanks so much for being with us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Joshua Gregory. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene as well as First State Bank, for making the Wise Money Show possible. Thank you very, very much. We just finished a question from Jennifer about paying off the mortgage early or investing more. If you missed that answer, you can catch previous episodes right there on the website or on the YouTube channel. Just search Wise Money Radio. If you yourself have a question, we'd love to address it on an upcoming show. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574 
or you can submit questions online, wisemoneyradio.com, or on the Facebook, Twitter page, or on the YouTube channel as well. Just search Wise Money Radio. All right, like I said, it's been a confusing year in the stock market. And actually, the, the old tried and true diversification has actually been a pretty frustrating experience for most investors. If you've got U.S. stocks that are doing well, international stocks are not doing well. Bonds are not doing well. Real estate, not doing well. So you hear on the news, okay, the stock market's done okay, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at your portfolio and it's a little frustrating, or it can be if you're just, if you're just diversified. But here's a, here's a perfect picture to help people understand that. And I was meeting with some clients yesterday, and I was talking about where the U.S. stock market is relative to their diversified portfolio. And I just reminded them the concept of diversification is similar to just to a good husband. And you'll never really be very, you'll never quite be fully happy with him. <laughs> right? Yes. A- and the wife just smiled and it just totally registered with her. And she's like, yes, I get it now. Yes. They might be doing some things right, but they're not doing everything right. That's right. the point of diversification. <laughs> Don't have all, all your eggs in one basket. That's absolutely That is my new husband. defense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, babe. I'm just diversified. <laughs> Uh, babe, you are diversified. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I came across an article recently that was talking about the five ways to manage long-term investments in a volatile stock market. And I thought, hey, this is a good reminder. Let's let's address it on an upcoming show. I mean, here again, we're 10 years, 10 years since the financial crisis. If you are listening or, or reading any financial news, there's... there's talk about what happened 10 years ago right now. And I remember, I remember... Joshua Gregory coming into my office one morning in 2008 and said, and we were just the headlines of whatever was happening, and he said, we're reading the history books on the headlines right now. They will be talking about this in financial news forever. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the 10-year anniversary, everyone's talking about it. So we're not having, I've been reminding clients, the last two years, the market's been up. This is not the opposite of that. The opposite would be straight down, right? Right. We're, we're, it's just kind of flat if you're diversified, but it's more volatile. So how do you manage your stocks or your investments in a more volatile market? Kevin, what's on your mind? Well, yeah, it, it, and think about 10 years ago today. It wasn't exactly today, but 10 years ago-ish, we were at the Financial Planning Association's National Conference in Boston, oh. staying on a houseboat in Boston Harbor, and freezing cold. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. And, yeah. and, I would have preferred the dock, actually. And there was an amazing guy that was talking about the Black Swan event. Yeah. And this was at the beginning of October. And I've never seen 4,000 people as miserable and just looking like they'd just seen a ghost. Everyone, and this was the beginning of October. This was before the S&P 500 uh, got on the elevator and dropped 20% in the month of October uh, 2008. Yeah, yeah. So there was panic. There was there was sheer panic from the financial advisor, and there were a lot of financial advisors who said, "Hey, I'm I'm checked out. I'm I'm leaving. I can't I can't stay at this conference because I'm so depressed. I'm so right worried." I, I called my doctor. I've I, I'm getting a prescription. I'm going to medicate and get help. I we're we're going to have another recession. We're going to have another stock market uh, drop and crash. It could start. Monday. 
I, we don't know. We, we truly, we truly just, just don't know. But how do you manage your investments? What are some principles to, uh, to managing your investments during volatile times? And, and really, this comment about diversification and good hus- husbands um, is lining up with the first one. The first way to manage investments during volatile times is to be diversified. We're talking about the last 10 years. Kevin, talk about the 10 years right before that. The 10 years immediately before the crash of 2008. Well, the 10 years before that, um, I'm not exactly sure what you want me to say. The U.S. stock market went through the tech bubble and burst. So Mm -hmm. large cap stocks, essentially the 10 years preceding, did nothing. Yeah. Large U.S. stocks, that's the—that's where you didn't want to be. You wanted to be just in real estate or just in international and even small caps. So the yeah. 10 years before the 2008 crash, diversification yeah. was a huge help because U.S. stocks, yeah. large cap stocks, so, were your underperformer. I'm smelling what you're cooking here, Mike. I, here's the deal. From March of 2009, if you go back 12 years... The U.S. stock market made exactly nothing. And the U.S. stock market's the large cap U.S. stocks, the ones that you're really happy with, and that's the only thing you want today. Right. So people say, well, from trough to peak, the U.S. stock market, the S&P 500, is up 329% over the last 10 years. That's that's all I want. All I want is U.S. stocks. That's cool. That's a 10-year period where we... we, um, put together 329%. But there was a 12-year period where the U.S. stock market put together a whopping 0%. And that's where a a well-diversified portfolio that had exposure to developed international countries and developing markets and small and mid-cap stocks, real real estate, estate, um, that that portfolio got you 6 or 7% in that same time frame. Per year. Which is not what people had coming out of the late 90s. Everyone had gotten more and more and more concentrated into technology stocks. The the future is here. Uh, If you don't have .com in your name, then you're dead and just don't know it as a company. That was kind of the mentality coming out of the 90s and diversification had been largely abandoned by a lot of investors. Maybe they didn't even realize it actually. Right. Because they had purchased maybe half a dozen different mutual funds and they didn't know that those mutual funds were all buying the same stuff at that time. Concentration had built up a lot of wealth but it gave it all back quickly during the the crisis. You know the, the interesting thing about the crisis we most recently went through the one that you're referring to 2008 and 2009, that was a period when diversification kind of helped a little bit, but not really. Not really. Everything was down at the same time. Even gold. That's right. Now, they weren't all down in the same proportions. But most of the stocks were. you're, you're, You're large, you're small, you're international, you're emerging. Those were down. Correlation was pretty much the exact same. That's right. But if if during that period of time, the stock market was down roughly 60%, most investors were not down 60%, right? If you were down 30%, though, it's it's not much of a consolation prize to say, oh, I, I only lost a third of my portfolio during that time. Yeah, you're not high-fiving at the... Uh 
at, at the barbecues okay. for that. Diversification doesn't make you bulletproof, in other words. But if it can help to smooth out some of the roller coaster ride and it allows you to stay invested through the ups and the downs, now it's it's allowing you to take advantage of the time in the market as opposed to timing the market. And uh, you know that puts you in a in a position where you have greater potential to actually achieve those long-term goals because you're getting adequate growth over time. Yep. Diversification does not make you bulletproof, but I would go out on a limb and say it makes you uh, bombproof. Over the long term. We over are talking the, about yes. the, the, the principles yep. for long-term investing and managing volatility over the long term. Right. And so we are all hardwired. If you're listening to this today, you are hardwired to be a horrible investor. We are, uh, as the three guys on the Wise Money Show, we're hardwired to be bad investors. So what you have to do is you have to have a process and you have to have guiding principles that you follow no matter what. At, you know, at that conference when everything was crashing, uh, well, of the three of us, I I liked it the least. We were all, I mean, we were all really disappointed, frustrated, scared, right? But not panicking like so many others. But panic is the natural emotion. Stay diversified so you can manage those emotions. There are four other tips to helping you manage volatility for your long-term investing. We've got tips two through five. And more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. How should you manage your investments during volatile times? Not saying these are extremely volatile, but they are more volatile than last year. So some of you are wondering, how do you manage your investments, your long-term investments, during times like these. Well, we're right in the middle of some tips that should be helpful to you. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike. Across from me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn. Between us, as always, Josh Gregory. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. Thank you very much. If you have any questions, have any needs, you can reach out to us. You can find us a couple different ways. WiseMoneyRadio.com is how you find us online. Social media, Wise Money Radio on Facebook and Twitter and the YouTube channel. Every episode's right there as well. And lastly, you can call or text the Wise Money line, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Came across an article a few weeks ago talking about, well, there's certainly more volatility this year than there's been in the past couple of years. And so how do you manage? What's the reminder? How do you manage your investments? during volatile times and really for the long term and the first one is the one you you don't like and that's diversification diversification means always apologizing to some of your investments and um, because they they by their very nature you don't want them to all go in the same direction at the same time and this year for sure we've got really one or two going up and the others are going down and that's frustrating but that's how diversification is supposed to work over the long term the second way to manage volatility for your investments over your lifetime is to make sure you match your investment choices with your time frame. This is another great one right now. I've had more people in the past 12 months say, hey, I've got some cash. I'm going to need it in six months. Where should I invest it? Yeah. Be- simply because, it, do you think anyone asked that in October of 2008? No. 
hey, I've got 30 grand on the sidelines. I'm going to need it because I've got to buy a car. How should I invest it? No one would ask that. But when the market's going up, you think, well, where should I invest it? Mm -hmm. No, before you even talk about what's a smart investment process, what are even the right options, how should I invest? You need to ask, when do I need this money? That's right. And that's why an emergency fund should not be positioned in some sort of an investment. It's too volatile, and you don't know when you're going to need your emergency fund, so you have to assume that you're going to need it soon, and therefore it shouldn't be tied up in an investment that you need a number of years to be able to smooth out the choppiness of that investment and hope that it actually makes money. It also means that as you get closer to the goal that you're saving up for, you need to begin to downshift the amount of risk that you're taking. Um, you know, when, when you're in an airplane, at some point the pilot comes on and says, flight attendants, please prepare the cabin for arrival, right, or landing. and. That's the cue that, okay, we're changing changing gears here. We need to actually reduce now the amount of risk. That might be five years out from retirement. It might be uh, within a few years of sending your kids to college. But you can't stay invested right up to the end if you're going to actually pull all those dollars out. But there's the flip side to this. So you say you're going to retire at 65. Uh, A a great friend and colleague here, uh, advisor Ben DeBach, and I had a meeting with some folks just retired, say they're 65, and they took this principle to heart and said, okay, we're retired. We're going to need this money. We're going conservative. 65. You've got money here that's going to last. You need to last you 30 years. That's right. You've got to invest some of this money for that time frame, too. So as soon as you retire, don't think, okay, well, it all needs to be really conservative. That would be that would be a very, very risky move when you think you're being less risky. But that doesn't necessarily apply to college. Hopefully, your kid, I just knocked on wood, is going to school for the short term instead of the long term, right? <laughs> Four years or five years at the, at the most. And so that same principle, it, it needs to be tweaked a little bit with college. But with retirement, your retirement could be three decades. If you believe in Rick Edelman, it could be four or five decades. That's why, sure you need to, that's why you need to quantify the amount of money you're going to need early in retirement and maybe have that in more safe investments. But the portion, as you say, that maybe the dollars you're growing for the 80-year-old version of you, those dollars can still stay invested in a more long-term mix of investments because you have plenty of time to let them fluctuate, be up and down in the markets, but ultimately moving higher, um, giving you growth potential. That's why you want to have a, a good reason for you're, why you're doing what you're doing. Because I've met with numerous people when they're getting close to retirement and they say, okay, I'm getting close to retirement, therefore the conventional wisdom is I go from aggressive investing to conservative investing. And you say, well, let's take a look at your income sources. And he's got a pension and she's got a pension and a couple of social securities. And all of a sudden you say, you're going to need $1,000 a month off of a million dollar portfolio. Um, you you really don't need to have a ton of this in what we would think of as kind of safe, stable, predictable investments. And so you say, no, let's make sure you've got exposure because over the long term, your enemies are inflation and taxes. We've got to be able to beat those two things. Yeah. And you don't want longevity to be your enemy. You want to enjoy a long, rich life, right? The third suggestion for managing your investments in a volatile market 
is to rebalance. So wait, these international investments that stink, that I don't like, you're going to tell me to buy more of those right now? I'm telling you I want to sell them. You're telling me to buy more? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Buy low, that, sell high, right? That is, is hard. That's a hard message to receive. Well, it's hard because, as I said earlier, we are hardwired to be horrible investors. Mm. And because logically what we want to do is say, get it out of that one that's not doing very well and put it into the one that's doing really well. Plus, irrationally, you look around and you say, we've got Brexit. We've got you know, all these issues with immigration and, and, and monetary policy and interest rates. And there's a whole bunch of problems internationally. And... So, I, I really, I shouldn't be there. Well, all those reasons actually are what helped the market go down. You just can't see all the solutions that are going to push it up until after the market's already up. That's right. Rebalancing is one of the ways that you take advantage of volatility. The other one we're going to talk about in just a second, but... Uh, when when you have volatility happening, it's occurring across the board in different investments at different rates. Some things are up when other things are down. And so by rebalancing, you're shaving some of the gains off of your winners and buying those investments that may be temporarily depressed right now. And you may tell your story, yourself a story that those investments are permanently depressed. But that's never been the case throughout history. And that's why rebalancing is, is such a disciplined thing. And it could be an automated thing if you take advantage of some of the features within your 401k. You can set that thing up to maybe rebalance for you on a quarterly basis, whether you're thinking about it or not. But your certified financial planner should be doing that for you as well, right? I right. Mean, that's right. But and, and the other thing that diversification allows you to potentially do is to stay invested. Because if you look at the decade of the 90s, the S&P 500 was up 400%. And international stocks were up 100%. So any logical, rational person would say, get me out of those. I'm done. I'm done. I've had 10 years where this one did 400% and this one did 100%. The thing that you didn't realize is that it would take 10 more years for the S&P 500 investment to be worth what it was worth at the end of the 90s. Right, right. And the, and the international stock market's took off in the decade of the 2000s. All right, let's let's uh, introduce this fourth one here. It's important to also capitalize on volatile markets by using something called dollar cost averaging. So the idea of dollar cost averaging is investing systematically on a regular timetable. So if you're investing $1,000 or a percentage right out of your paycheck to go into your 401k, then by default, you're using dollar cost averaging. Very quickly, why, why is that such a big benefit? Because you're buying into investments that are going to be up and down, and when those investments happen to be down, you will buy more shares of them at that time. Because the price is lower. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, that same uh, flat dollar amount that you're uh, steadily contributing, it will just go further uh, during those times, and you'll, you'll naturally buy more shares at the right time as opposed to the peaks. Well, that's why I like shopping when things are on sale. Because I know I'm hardwired to say, well, I'm only going to spend X amount going out shopping. And if it's, you know, buy one, get one free, I can get two of them for the same price, right? So 
Same thing applies when you're investing. We've got the last tip as well as a few more questions. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Do you have a comprehensive approach to your financial life? Is your financial advisor financial? Is your financial advisor a financial planner? Ooh, that's a that's a great question. We're going to hit that. And a few more things coming up. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks. Thanks so much for being with us. My name's Mike. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you've missed anything, every show is on podcast. Every show is on the YouTube channel. Every show is on the website. You can find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. The YouTube channel, just search Wise Money Radio, subscribe to it, share it, all that sort of stuff. And then wherever you listen to your podcast, just search Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. That's Corhorn with a K. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us, 574-222-2000. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. All right. We've been talking about how do you invest for the long term during volatile markets. This year, at least up until right now, has, hasn't, has, has been more volatile, but it hasn't been unusually volatile. At least not not yet. So, but in a relative basis, last year was one of the most calm investment years on record. I think it tied the most calm investment year on record. So, be diversified, right? And use dollar cost averaging. We were just talking about that. Make sure that your investments match your time frame, and be sure you're rebalancing. The last tip for managing your investments during volatile times is to remember to shift your investment strategy as you near retirement. Now, this is sort of restating that making sure you've got the right timeline with it, but it's it's just recognizing that you're going to have to shift things as you get closer to using the dollars. That's exactly right. And I, I might even uh, just rephrase this as uh, change the change the strategy. You, you would use different investments when you're in the spend down phase of retirement as opposed to the growth and accumulation phase. You need to be paying more attention to liquidity and how you're going to access this money. So the, the the climbing the mountain, that strategy is different than getting back down the mountain. You I, have to do both safely, as we often say. I was going to, going back to that dollar cost averaging. So if you're investing, say, $1,000 a month, and when shares are high, when the market's high, that 1000 is buying fewer shares. Then when those prices are low, you're buying them on sale. You're buying more shares when those prices are low with your $1,000. So dollar cost averaging really helps when you're investing. Yeah, but if you're climbing down the mountain, do the math. It actually works the opposite. Okay, I now need $1,000 coming out of my investments every month. You're selling more shares at a higher 
um, at, or at lower prices, right? Potentially. So, yeah. yeah. So so it works the exact opposite. You need a full income plan. We provide that here at KFG. Your certified financial planner should be providing that for you as a way to avoid that. You do. You want to leverage dollar cost averaging. You don't want it to harm you in the income stage of retirement. So, all right. Final thoughts, action items on managing investments during volatile times. Yeah, if you if you don't have formal training on how to manage money, go work with someone who does and go find a financial planner. Make sure that financial planner is certified. Make sure that financial planner could tell you what the six areas of, of CFP are because there are lots of folks that have the initial after their name that don't really practice financial planning. Our The Wise Money Show is not scripted. This is designed, the original vision was, hey, let's just assume we're at a, uh, a, a, a coffee shop on Saturday morning and Kevin and I are drinking coffee, and Josh is getting his pancakes one at a time out of the off, uh, from the kitchen. Waitress, could you just make sure that syrup is warm? And please? then we're and we're talking oh finances, and the people in the restaurant are just overhearing and listening. So this is not scripted. You know, we have topics that we want to hit, but that Kevin is a perfect segue into our next question. It's from Rogeries fifty four from Granger. I hear you talk about the importance of working with a certified financial planner. My advisor is a CFP certificate, so he's got a certified financial planner. But all we talk about is investments and my insurance needs. Isn't there more we should be talking about, he should be doing for me? You know, those three initials after a financial advisor's name, CFP, Certified Financial Planner, should give you confidence that they have taken the time to go through a rigorous studying uh, process. They have learned curriculum, they have understood all the areas of your financial life and how they're integrated. It does not necessarily mean that they are using them in their practice. They may not have a process or a business model that focuses on all areas of your financial life and how you can integrate them. They may have chosen to just kind of specialize in one area that they enjoy more or they feel compensates them better. Who, who knows? So. Certified financial planner is a prerequisite, in our opinion, for someone who will guide you through a comprehensive approach. But it doesn't mean that every CFP out there will do that for you. Yeah, I'd ask your your certified financial planner, how was the CFP, or it's called the FPA, Financial Planning Association Conference this year in Chicago? Because it it's ninety it was ninety minutes away this year. They usually have it kind of on either coast, and they alternate. Well, this year is right around the corner. They never come to the Midwest. It's never <laughs> right here. It's always in Boston, like we talked about Seattle right. or yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'd say, hey, how how was the FPA conference this year? What did you learn? What new strategies? What are people talking about? Did you see any of the twenty two people that Corhorn Financial Group brought to the FPA? Did you meet? the Bethel students that Corhorn Financial Group brought because we believe in financial planning. The, the you know, one of the, just really quick tidbit, you know, a lot of people, we were just talking about retirement and drawing money out. A lot of people um, in the absence of planning will just look at a safe withdrawal rate, something like that. Well, the, um, 
the economists, let's just use that word, who is kind of adopting that research from the original authors, is actually speaking at spoke at the FPA conference. And so, yeah, if you're if you're CFP isn't going there to continue to learn the latest techniques and tricks and what um, sort of the fringe ideas for planning strategies, yeah, they're 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 not staying sharp. They're not um, doing financial planning. But that's why we also always say CFP doing comprehensive financial planning because that's really what you want. That's exactly right. Every doctor I've ever met, they all went to medical school, right? They all have doctor in their name for a reason. They have studied anatomy. They've studied the processes of the body and how to help someone heal and and whatnot. But many of them after medical school chose to specialize or just focus on one area. And they would be quick often to say, you know what, this is an area, this is outside of my area of expertise right now, and refer you to someone else. If you get a whole group of these types of specialists in your life, a an accountant, a an attorney, a investment advisor, an insurance agent, and they are not collaborating together, or you don't have a process and a plan to bring all of these areas of expertise together, then you don't have an integrated, comprehensive financial plan. You just have a series of professionals that you go get advice from, and it may sometimes be conflicted advice. It may be that there are uh, ways that good ideas can slip through the cracks because neither of those professionals are actually recognizing the the opportunities in front of you. Right. It could be conflicted advice for that professional and you, and it could be conflicting advice with some other areas of your financial life if they're not all working together. You need need someone that's doing comprehensive financial planning and looking at how all areas of your financial life are in sync together. There's six areas. We, we tell you that every show. Comprehensive financial planning, your financial life, mine, Kevin's, Josh's, everyone's, is made up of six areas. Your present financial position, that's your cash flow, that's your net worth, managing debt, all that sort of stuff. Protection planning is the second area. What are the big risks on your, on your shoulders? How are you managing them? Tax planning, being proactive with your tax opportunities. Investment planning is one of them. So is retirement and college planning and estate planning. You need to be looking at all of those, but then the advice needs to be integrated with all of them. You can't just make decisions in a vacuum. Great question, Roger. I hope that was helpful. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for listening. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, myself, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a safe and great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.